Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Living It Up podcast. This is a Wednesday edition coming to you just hours after the PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan has outlined a number of major changes to the PGA Tour, including top player commitments to a set of elevated events, some minimum guaranteed salary protections, et cetera, et cetera. But hey, we want to talk first about a bit of actual golf before we get into the news of the day. This is Brian. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, George. George, good day to you. Let's chat a little U.S. amateur before we chat about the, uh, the Game of Thrones uh, that has become pro golf these days. George, tell me, is, is Sam Bennett, U.S. Open champion, the slowest player we've seen since Sergio at Bethpage? Uh, has he finished yet? <laughs> he is still on 18. <clears throat> he is still one up. Um, I, that was, I mean, hey, first start, congratulations to him. Huge win. Um, you know, I need, the, the USAM is, you know, probably the fifth major. I guess we could go there. Uh, I think most people would, would argue that that's one of the hardest tournaments in the world to win. Um, and so hats off to, to him. Tremendous story. Um, losing his dad. So, you know, again, kudos to him. But holy smokes, that was tough to watch. Um, I I haven't seen something. I mean, basically, it's like he learned to watch golf by just putting Sergio's uh, performance at Bethpage on a reel. I I agree. It, it was it was like discomforting to watch because it's one thing to be a slow player in your entire process it's it's difficult to watch when it's at the very end of your process and i and and i'll say this like i think there is a difference with guys that just take a really long time a la you know bryson dechambeau who's gonna evaluate air density and and everything that he can before he gets into the shot he tends to pull the trigger quickly once he's committed when you see a guy that you know maybe gets into the shot quicker but then does what sam bennett does it's just a different type of slow play It, it underscores for me that like eventually probably all of golf and, and certainly pro golf needs to come up with some sort of like shot clock. I've heard, I've heard it proposed that like maybe the standard bearer should have like a, a clock. So at least we can see like, Hey, this guy's taking 40 seconds where this guy takes, you know, a, a, a minute and a half to go to get from like, it's you're up versus like balls in the air. It, something has to happen because as you pointed out, it's one thing if a guy has a really slow process and, analyzing picking a club talking it through with his caddy um and and so for for tv right that's and at the end of the day what we're talking about here is how does this affect the tv viewing and us at home watching it is the the producers who have you know all the screens going in their their truck can sit there and they know okay hey bryson has gotten to his ball all right cool we've got at least 90 seconds before he steps over it and so they'll they'll sit back and they'll show other shots. And then as soon as they see Bryson step up to the ball, they will then cut to him and we'll watch him pull the trigger and hit. When you got guys like this, the producers watching him step up to the ball, he's like, all right, Hey, he's over the ball. We got to go. And then you just sit there and sit there and he waggles and he, he regrips and he moves his feet and 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 he regrips and he moves his feet. And like, are you sick of this yet? Because that's what it was all day. And when you are in a 36-hole match play where that's the only thing to watch, yeah, 
wow. Uh, it is, it is tough. Yeah. I, I will say, and you mentioned kudos, kudos to him. Congrats uh, to Sam Bennett, us open champ. Also congrats to Ben Carr, the other, the other finalists, both of them actually had, uh, you know, really heartwarming stories about how they've overcome a lot of, you know, adversity in their lives. Both of them lost their fathers at, at way too young an age, obviously. So kudos to both of them. It's, it's still a super fun event. I will tip my hat since I don't do this often to NBC. I really liked a lot of the coverage. Unfortunately, I couldn't see the round of 16 for some reason, but I, I will tip my hat to, to Colt Nost and to Smiley Kaufman and some of the stuff that they did to fill the time during these, you know, semifinal, quarterfinal, final matches. It, it's really compelling to see the young guys play. I think they did a really good job presenting the course and showing us the nuances of different pin positions and things of that nature. Um, so again, I liked it from a, from a viewer standpoint, but yeah, the, 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 the wagging and, and resetting was a, was a challenge to say the least. Yeah. Kudos to Ridgefield country club. I mean, that place showed on oh, TV. That I, rough that is looked, no bueno. Oh, terrible. Yeah, that place looks sick. So, you know, obviously hat tip to those members. If uh, any of our listeners are members up there, uh, we're happy to host you down at our place. If you'd like <laughs> That's to invite right. us up to yours. Um, and then also you'd mentioned NBC had the coverage. And um, so since they were running it, did, did we get an update on um, any matches Frank Strafacci has been playing? Is he, is yeah. he still going? He, he's still doing well. He has defeated uh, everyone, uh, including Bobby Jones. He took down Bobby Jones. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this, too, because we hear about Frank Strafacci and, and his grandfather and his father and his father's father at every AM. Can we also just get off Stuart Hagestad and that he's a real mid-AM and he's not just like a, a paid professional golfer i mean the guy plays 200 days a year like let's stop pretending that he's some like you know second coming of bobby jones but can we also just like admit he's because he's what like 35 or whatever i mean hand hand up like i would have traded my life at 35 for his uh, so good on him man like he's doing walker cups he's doing this apparently at 35 you've got to earn a living doing something so Good on, good on you to be successful to enough to keep playing all this golf. Um, I, I think, frankly, he should start hosting seminars on how to be him. Yeah, he. Um, I'll figure out how old he is here shortly. I think he's still below 30. But he's won a few mid-ams. Uh, the mid-am, I, I still, as a mid-am myself, uh, contend that it should be at least 30 or even 35. I think 30 is a good middle ground. 25 is, in my book, quite frankly, too young. You've got all these guys that are, are just a, a year, two years, three years out of college that are still thinking about turning professional that are playing in the mid-am and just beating up on, on 40, 40 year olds like myself. So um, I, I agree. I'm kind of poking fun at Stu Hagestad. I, I would love to trade places with him and play, play 200 days a year, not really carry a real job and, and just, uh, you know, go to these USJ championships. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it a little bit. We we're, we're in the DC area and, I think actually maybe he's a lobbyist because most of the lobbyists <laughs> I know do get about 200 days a year in. Um, they get some boondoggles out to some pretty amazing courses. So uh, maybe he's in government affairs and uh, that's, that's the track all the kids who want to keep playing golf should be on. Oh, totally agree. Uh, one thing that was again, tough to watch. And this was in the final match uh, for, for those of you that didn't watch it on the 13th hole, uh, eventual winner Sam Bennett just ejects one from about 270 into the uh, the OB just left of the green, and Ben Carr makes what I think is one of the dumbest decisions of all time to also eject himself OB with a wood 
here's where I go with this one, George. Like Willie Wilcox, former PGA Tour player, on his bag. How does he let him pull anything less than, or anything you know, like stronger than a than a seven iron at that point? Like literally two wedges gets you on the green, makes five, and moves on with a win on that hole. Like what in the hell was that? So apparently, and he, I think he was on radio yesterday or the day before, and and he claims he had no idea that the ball was was lost, like he was at OB. So he didn't uh, know, which again seems when when you watch the dude drop a provisional, like that's a mm-hmm. pretty good yeah. indicator with all the spotters. But then the second thing is, and this comes back to how glacially slow Bennett was, like send your caddy up to go find out. Like, yeah, you know, you're, you're not holding anyone up behind you. You're not holding up right. behind you. Like, hey, go run up there. see if they're going to wave like it's OB and you're right. Like we're hitting seven iron, seven iron in and like that's game. I make five. It's now I'm only one down or I forget where he was exactly at that point. But to, to do that, like that's, and you feel for the kid because obviously in the moment, you know, it's, there's a lot going on. Um, And yeah, that's just a, a real, it's just a shitty thing because you you would have loved to have him be able to to do that. And then, of course, you know, who knows how Bennett reacts, basically now just pumping one OB from the center of the fairway. That's got to rattle you a little bit. So um, I guess for the viewers at home, we kind of missed an opportunity to maybe watch down the stretch. But, you know, hats off to Carr. He played super hard out there um, and it was a bummer of a break. Totally, totally get you. Before we get into, again, the, uh, the, the Game of Thrones saga that is pro golf, let's talk quickly about Willie Z. Uh, injury-wise, he uh, was a front runner, third in the, uh, the FedEx Cup point total, would have started you know, with a really, really good chance to win the FedEx Cup. He's got a back issue, forced him to withdraw last week, and now he's got apparently herniated discs in his back. He's going to be out for some length of time, not going to play the rest of the FedEx Cup, not going to play the President's Cup. And he's going to get 30th place money after this uh, injury WD, you know, kind of just highlights the the silliness to a degree of the FedEx Cup, that it's the uh, the quote unquote season long race for the FedEx Cup, um, uh, unless you get injured. And then you're just going to you're going to get 30th place money. Uh, again, thoughts and prayers to Willie Z, entertaining golfer, sucks to have back issues because that can haunt you for for many, many years. So I hope he does get through that. Yeah, and I feel super bad for him because I last year. I mean, the kid plays dick off last year and should have been in the FedEx Cup playoffs, but I guess didn't have status despite racking up like 31 top 10s or some stupid season um, and could have made a run for it last year and then kind of gets screwed this year. And, and yeah, on the back thing, boy, I just um, really, really hope that it's something that can be, you know, sort of nursed back with rest and he can get himself straight because that dude can play and it will stink if he if he becomes this weird little footnote of you know a a comet that just shot across the sky and we never see him again yeah flew flew flew, uh too close to the sun and uh had to come back to earth it does beg the question before we move off this one and i've said this for for some time i look at guys like justin thomas yako neiman willie willie zalatoris you know, relatively small frames, but they generate so much speed. It's kind of the modern golf swing, a lot of side bends, a lot of like extension right at impact. I do wonder if that modern swing, that modern approach 
gives you essentially like a five to 10 year window on your maximum earning potential. And, and then it actually opens up the question of like live, right? Like should during those, what I'll call five to 10 years of maximum, like sort of prime earning potential, should you just take the biggest bag possible? It, it, it's kind of an interesting thought exercise. If you think about it that way, we sometimes myself included delude ourselves into thinking like, yeah, these guys are going to do this for 10, 12, 15 years when that window might be just getting shorter and shorter. I, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thought. I guess, you know, you look at the, the flip side, you can bulk up like Bryson and he got injured. Uh, so maybe that's not the answer. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this will come in what we talk about later with what the tour is rolled out that maybe live isn't as necessary as it used to be to make, go make a pile of money. Um, but I, I don't know. And I don't know what the, if these guys, if people are going to break down the swing to be like, oh, this is where you're, you're getting after it. And it's, it's always going to break down and you're going to run into these physical problems. Um, because you look at guys kind of, I'll use DJ on the one end who, you know, is just an absolute freak and has for the most part stayed healthy um, aside from some air quote injuries that sidelined him from time to time. Uh, don't lift those jet skis, kids. <laughs> And then the, then you got guys, I mean, and then on the complete, I guess the other side of stupidly talented, but obviously you have to say the guy's talented. You got a guy like Matt Kuchar who <laughs> the, the swings held up. He's had runs of, of being really, really, really good top 10 player in the world from time to time. Swing is hardly athletic um, and he gets paid a lot of money. Yeah, uh, no, I totally look at the guys like Matt Kuchar, guys even like Stu Sink that like, you know, it tends to be those guys that I would say have bigger frames that can like sustain the the many, many years and like still move the ball as much as they need to. They're, you know, neither Sink or, or Kuchar is going to win a long drive contest, but they can move the ball enough to be competitive and, and maximize their short game and putting. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, I'll touch on one more piece of piece of news it's funny how in this, uh, this era of like, it seems like every day is, is another bombshell in the world of professional golf. This one seems like it was weeks ago. It was actually just a week ago. Patrick Reed files a lawsuit of defamation against Brandel Chambly and Golf Channel. Uh, you know, there's been a lot written, a lot commented on, a lot of podcasts that talk about this. I don't think we need to rehash all those details. I'll tell you, George, or I'll ask you, George, since you're our, our resident legal expert here. I listened to a, a Fire Pit Collective interview with Jeffrey Tobin. Thankfully, I just listened to it. I didn't watch the uh, the Zoom. Who knows what happened there? But it was pretty clear to me listening to that that this one feels like it's going to get tossed out and tossed out pretty quickly for two reasons. One is like the alleged libel, right, has basis in facts, right? There is been a lot of suspicious activity around Patrick Reed documented with video evidence. So for him to say this guy's a cheater and a scumbag, you know, can very clearly be seen as like journalistic opinion. The second part of that is like any stuff that Brandel Chambly has said about Liv isn't directed at Patrick Reed. So like a judge could just be like, yeah, man, like I'm throwing this out because that's that's talking about Liv. So if they want to sue for defamation, bring it. But it, you can't talk about that. So I'm curious, like, George, what do you, what, what did you read? Is this is this one getting tossed out? Is there something some other ulterior motive here? Yeah, this thing is a stinking pile of shit. Um, <laughs> this is, I, I, I am not um, a, a P. Reed defender by any stretch. I don't, I don't follow the P. Reed trackers, and 
pretty sure I'm blocked. Uh, you don't, you don't use somebody. golf facts. You don't use golf facts. Uh, I I have. Uh, I don't think I've been blocked by use golf facts, but um, I I don't necessarily pay a lot of attention to it. And and which brings me to the work. Well, I think I'm going to defend P. Reed in the slightest bit here. He's overplaying on the Asian tour. He may not even know this got filed. This has Lady J all <laughs> over it being like, I'm tired of people picking on my man. And if he won't stand up, I'm going to stand up for him. And uh, I mean, this is so dumb, just dumb on dumb on dumb for this. And it's the kind of thing, honestly, where, and I, I touched on it when we talked about the original lawsuit before where like whoever the, the 11 or 20 plaintiffs or whatever, however in this lawsuit that like, included Augusta National in a lawsuit. Um, you know, I think it's safe to say all golfers winning the Masters is is probably right up there as the number one to win. The US Open is clearly the hardest of them all to win. Um, there's just the, the, the allure and the prestige of the Masters. And as we all have known, if you pay any attention over time, like the boys at Augusta, they don't like dipshits. They don't like publicity you know they want the the you know the the quiet elegant golfer as their champion and man p reed i have a hunch from now on he's gonna probably call him in january and be like oh, hey boys i didn't i didn't see mine and they're like oh, man, so, uh, again i'm sorry that must have gotten lost in the mail we'll we'll get a new one out to you asap and he may never back to Augusta again. I mean, this, this guy has just got to, he has got to get out of this. This woman has got to get out of his life. I don't know if there's a good guy in there or not. There's a lot of, you know, conjecture from his college days. I don't want to speak on any of that, but man, when people talk about the teams they have around them, it, this guy just seems like he could not pick a word. Like his enemies couldn't pick a worse team for him than he has. <laughs> And he's done it all on his own. So I, this, this is the dumbest thing ever. I don't want to spend any more time on it. Um, it's going to get bounced, and he's just going to look like a fool. I, I, I do. I almost have sympathy for him. Yeah, that's a, it's a tough look all around. So let's... This episode is sponsored by the Fit for Golf app, the all-in-one guide to better golf, fitness, and health. I've been using the Fit for Golf app for many months. You know, it's improved my overall strength, flexibility, and my ability to prepare the right way before I play. In fact, I find that if I'm coming in hot for a tee time, I don't just bang balls, you know, for 10 minutes like I used to. Instead, I have a set of band and club-aided dynamic stretches that I do, and then I just hit a handful of balls and putts, and I'm ready to rock. In the Fit for Golf app, you'll find a ton of workouts and programs from speed training to off-season and in-season workouts warm-up routines, and much, much more. And Living It Up listeners, we have a special deal for you. Use the code LIVINGITUP, all one word, in checkout, and you'll get 20% off an annual membership. We thank Fit for Golf for their sponsorship, and I thank Fit for Golf for the improvements I'm seeing in my own game. Let's move then to the news of the day. Um, for those of you that do not know or have not read about it yet, Jay Monahan took the stage today for a press conference, first outlined in a letter to players that was given to media, a number of changes to the PGA Tour schedule, the player impact program, 
Uh, historically, that's paid for, you know, social media engagement and essentially like your Q score to the top 10 guys, a little bit of a black box in terms of how they do that. They're getting away from that. And instead, the, the player impact program is going to score guys basically on like both on course and off course impact. Again, a little bit of a black box to be determined later how they score it. But they are going to pay heavily $100 million collectively to 20 guys. Those 20 guys are then in turn going to be playing in 20 events, eight elevated events, four majors, the players, four events to be named later, and three events uh, outside of that schedule. So 20 events these guys are going to be committed to, and it's really bolstering the top in that, in that regard. Your top 20 guys are going to get paid, and they're going to be making a commitment that will trickle down to sponsors being able to commit and these events being, you know, worth the uh, the watch. They're going to make this like kind of 20 events that are must watch on the calendar. And on the bottom of that, they've guaranteed this new $500 minimum sort of, I think of this as more PR and goodwill. It's kind of like a soft pillow landing because you're going to be headed back to the quarter Ferry finals. If you don't make 500,000 and we can talk about why that is, but a number of announcements at the top end and at the bottom end, and we can get into this, but I'd say, George, like, I'm curious to get your thoughts on like, you know, this is the Living It Up podcast. We're talking a lot about live and a lot about the, the, who's in, who's out. How much pause is this going to give players that have not committed? How much pause is this giving players who are already on live? Like how substantial were these, were these announcements in your view? It, you raise a really good point, Brian. And I think that for for the guys who might have been thinking about joining, like they now have a lot to think about because the PIP is effectively now going to be a annual signing bonus for staying on and for being entertaining. Um, guys will definitely move up and down. The top 10 are probably pretty locked in. It's that 10 to 20 that's going to be sort of, you know, influx, I'd say. And, and so if any of these, the alleged seven that are supposed to be the big, you know, splashy announcement um, after the tour championship, I think they have to take a hard look because if they're good enough to be competing and they're good enough to be, say, let's say they've made it to Atlanta and they're in this 30s and are playing, then like chances are they're going to be, percolating a lot in the $20 million tournaments of which there's going to be 12 um, on tour or I, I forget exactly what the number is, but basically 12 of these $20 million tournaments so that they can be like, wait a minute, I can actually not change a thing, not to deal with all this weird stuff, not to worry about ranking points and basically probably break even apples to apples between these two things. Um, and I, I think that definitely gives them pause. Now, I know there's been some international guys rumored, and um, some of them may look at this and say, well, but I really want to get a chance to just go play closer to home. I want to be more international. I want this, you know, when it's when I'm not playing, I'm not playing. And, you know, I think because the tour wants to squeeze all this in between January to the end of August, that, like, basically it's going to be – these guys are signing on to a pretty significant commitment of, of travel and playing back-to-back weeks and so on and so forth. But um, so I, I think there's going to be, I think Greg is spending a lot of nights on the phone 
trying to talk guys into staying. Um, the the one wild card in all of this, of course, who might not be a wild card if you if the rumors are true that like, hey, it's a done deal, and he's gone. Um, Cam Smith has to look at and and candidly, I think if if you take the no laying up guys who so far have been like very plugged in and have delivered probably on on the whole pretty much the most reliable scoops that like, hey, we're hearing this and then it tends to come true is, you know, I think Hideki and Cam have a ton of leverage to do things that benefit them. They do it. May have done it. Um, Because they say like uh, in the going to live camp. Um, So I don't know if that means like Zozo will eventually be one of these elevated events that will be played into and so he's bringing the army to, to Tokyo to play. Maybe not the best analogy given um, history there, but um, the reality is like maybe he's getting what he wants. And so like can go and say, hey, you know what? I want I want to bring the the all twenty two down to um, the the Australian Open. I want that to be a real tournament. I want to bring like real golf back to Australia. And if the tour's like, we will do that. We cannot do that in 23. We might be able to do it in 24, but for sure 25 on, like we will make this happen. Yeah. I think it's important bringing up these guys like Cam and Hideki, you know, they are international guys you know, arguably both more popular, you know, at home than they are in the U.S., although, of course, well-known and followed in the U.S. And I do think, like, what this has shown, Jay said that these additional four events are going to be domestic events, and it looks like it's going to be a domestic, you know, U.S. calendar from January to August. They're sort of taking that slice of the golf calendar. So it does present some, like, interesting scenarios for guys like Hideki and Cam, just like you said. Um, and, and to go back to your point, like I, I now think that the PGA tour has shown their cards. You can now do, you know, essentially an apples to apples comparison. And I'm sure they and their agents are sitting down doing exactly that. How much do you discount, uh, the OWGR rankings and, and what may happen or may not happen with, with how you might sort of toilet bowl down to obscurity in the OWGR if you, if you go to live, um, of course for Cam and Hideki, they still are, are relying on their major exemptions. So they're good to go there for at least the next four to five years for those guys. Um, I also think there's this other wild card that got thrown in this idea of this uh, tomorrow T TMRW tiger McElroy, Rory woods league uh, Monday night golf. You'd imagine that might be the first of many of these, like, you know, perhaps quote unquote silly things that, that may, may be interesting. I have my thoughts that it might be cool. Um, but I think like, those guys are probably going to come from the quote unquote top players, right? They've said that there's going to be three teams of six. So that's 18. Like that's essentially your top players that are going to get this pit money, get opportunities in these elevated events, uh, you know, going to have this uh, TGL slash tomorrow money opportunities being thrown at them. So I think they do have a lot to chew on Uh, in your sense though. Like let's play out like a guy like cam, let's assume he has not signed and maybe that's a discussion to have. Like if he signed, can he claw his way out of that deal? If he has cold feet, 
but let's assume he is not signed. Like, where do you think he is? He and his agent are going to have to lean. Like, what what would be like the major uh, sort of levers that might tilt you one way or the other? So, and like, I, I all I can do is base this on things I've heard Cam say and talk about. Like, he's he's a very like thoughtful guy, and he seems like a guy that is is also homesick. I mean, he's, yeah. he's been, he's chatted about it. He said like, Hey, I think for the players, it was the first time his family had been here in like two or three years. And I, I mean, I think this is a guy who, who would, who sees this live money as I just did my entire PGA career and I can be, I can play out of Australia. I can be home, you know, live, I think it said like there'll be two, in Australia, plus two or three more mm-hmm. in, I'll say the Oceana Theater. Mm-hmm. So, like for him, and and what I don't know is like, does he see himself as like, hey, I, like, does he see himself as a role model? Does he see himself as, you know, and and it may be like, hey, he's he's Adam Scott, right? Adam's got to be forty two, forty three now, mm-hmm. um, and. So he's, he's the next big Australian. And does he seem like, Hey, I want, I want 12 year olds to not have to watch it on tape delay or YouTube the next day. Like I want them to see me and be able to come to my tournaments and, and do these things. Um, And I think for him, if he can do that and live is clearly going to make that happen. Obviously Greg Norman is going to make Australia a, a big part of it. The I think through the Asian tour and other things like you're going to see Australian golf get woven back into a world stage one way or the other, and I, I think that means something to Cam, um, and I think that's a that's like a really valuable thing to to do, um, you know, because obviously I didn't have to move between Australia and the United States, but I was perfectly happy on the West Coast but kind of was like always felt like I wanted to be closer to family, move back to the East coast to, for the very reason, just be closer to family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like, I can totally see a value to him just based on things he said, like, don't get me wrong. Any single one of us, if, if the rumors are true and it's basically a hundred million dollars, like every single one of us is going to chew on that really hard. And I don't care, like, all these people, the sanctimonious ones and everything else, oh, you can't have that money. Like, $100 million in front of you to do exactly what you'd be doing at your other job, you're definitely going to sit there and chew on it and talk to some people about, hey, what do we want? And and I'll go back to, like, things that have been said by, you know, fans of international golf. You hear this from fans in Europe. You hear this from fans in in Asia, Australasia area. Like they've been feeling for decades this pain of, hey, our stars get taken away from us, right? They, they're they essentially like, not force, force is the wrong word, but like the only show in town for, for elite, elite level golf is the PGA Tour. And so that's meant that it's on the US. You talked about the time zone challenges, just being a viewer. I think to your earlier point, like Cam can be the next Greg Norman by resurrecting like international and, and Australasia golf, like if he can play the four majors, wrap that around a very international heavy live schedule, 
end the year sort of in the November, December timeframe by playing live events, the Australian PGA, the Australian Open. Like I have to imagine that for him, that's going to win the day. Like, and, and there's clear rumors obviously out there that he may have already signed his name on the dotted line. It, it may be a foregone conclusion. But I even think now that the PGA has put down their cards and shown the monetary value and, and their programs to try to entice these guys to not defect, if I'm him, I still probably defect. Well, you made, a, you made an interesting point. He could be Norman. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing with going to live. If he goes to live, he cannot be the next Greg Norman. Because Greg Norman is Greg Norman. And Greg Norman will tell everybody he brought the world's best player <laughs> back to Australian golf. He brought professional golf at a highest level back to Australia. However, if Cam stays with the tour and can talk to them and say, hey, I'll stay. Like, first and foremost, I don't – there's no – I don't – and, and his, his thing basically has to be, like, I don't give a shit if the Australian Open allows live players to play. I get to go back every December – because it is December. It's, it's not even in any way remotely um, – like conflicting with any meaningful tour, anything mm-hmm. is like, it, he just says like, here's the deal. I get to go back and play the Australian open and the Australian PGA or whatever their majors or big tournaments are every year, regardless. And I want that to count. I want that in, at some point when it can get worked in. However, the contracts of these tournaments and sponsorships work like the second there's an opening, I want this to be one of the big dogs that we send, we send the army in, we send the all 22 and we do this because then, and only then, because then he can be Greg Norman and stand shoulder to shoulder because I brought professional golf at the highest level back to Australia. Yeah. I, I think that's a possibility and perhaps there are some behind the scenes conversations going on. To, to do that, you'd have to imagine if Hideki's, you know, on the rumor mill more in the PGA Tour camp right now that to your earlier point around, you know, the Zozo or maybe some some elevated events in, 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 in and around Japan, it seems like for me, he's the most important person in golf. Like Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy are all in on the PGA Tour and this tomorrow enterprise that's, you know, latched on kind of a sidecar will be, you know, sponsored, accepted by the PGA Tour. It, it makes Hideki to me the most important like card to be uh, you, you know, both sides can just throw their last and final offers at this guy. And, and he's got to be pretty excited about where he is right now. I mean, that if you hear people talk that he clearly is um, because he, he is, I mean, I, I think, you know, talk, people say, Oh, if you win a major, you know, it, it means X millions of dollars. Yeah, his head of I think, I, th- I think with him winning at Augusta, right? Like, if he wins the British, that's cool. But Augusta sits in a, in a realm and an air all its own. I think when he, he won, a, like, it's not a B. It's infinity dollars. That, <laughs> that was worth infinity dollars for him. 
um, because the and it's it's I'm going to generalize here a little bit. I think culturally, we as Americans or whoever's listening to this and wherever they are, I don't think we can truly understand culturally what him doing that meant to Japan. Like, it's massive, 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 massive. I I mean, put it on par of like, you're the captain of the English team that wins the World Cup, kind of like mania and like you are forever etched in stone among the greatest emperors and humans that have ever populated our society for that culture and and i think more importantly i realize if he goes because of his stature and, and and this is something i just don't know but i presume that within the the asian players on tour like there's I presume there's some, you know, like discussions and things because as, as much as they, they have asserted themselves and they are showing like they are very good golfers and like their cultures are very into it. They are, they still remain outsiders a little bit. Like they're welcome. Like we see them, we, you know, cheer for them. You know, we're excited when they win, but like they still are outsiders. There's still language barriers. There's still culture barriers. And if Hideki jumps, I think the concern is like, Hideki might be more of a domino, not just so like, well, we're going to lose the Japanese market. But like, I think guys like Sungjae, I think guys like the Koreans all of a sudden, I think this becomes a much bigger concern for the Asian golf marketplace, which is insane. Like I was in Tokyo 2019, and this is, you know, before the Putin inflation and everything else, air quotes, Putin inflation. Um, that the, I mean, a box of Pro V's was about 150 bucks. Oh, wow. Like, think about that. Like, uh, just a box of golf balls that we pay, I guess, like, they're 50 now. But, you know, in 2019, they're about 44, 43, whatever. Like, they were $150. Clubs were thousands and thousands of dollars. Like, it, it is a wildly different universe over there for the amount of money and everything else goes to it. And I think if, if he goes, I think it's a much more of a, like the Asian players now take live much more seriously. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, if, if I I'm think... Greg, if, if I'm Greg, Cam Smith is a huge feather in my cap. Hideki might be worth like 300 million. I mean, if, 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 if Phil Mickelson was two hundred million, which, look, I've loved watching Phil. Exciting golfer, he's fifty three years old, going on seventy five. Like, he's the worst two hundred million dollar expense in the history of mankind. Putting aside his like disastrous PR moment, Hideki has got to be worth more than that. And I think I know. that has I, to and be I, like. And there were there have been rumors. Remember the whole like Tiger was it seven hundred eight hundred million dollars? I know Hideki's been rumored up around two hundred, even three hundred. But you know I've heard I've heard even crazy numbers higher. And I wonder actually there was a, an interview with, with the No Laying Up folks uh, today. Uh, they had Keith Mitchell on there, and and he talked about like does this 
when does this end? And he pointed out like, it, it, it kind of doesn't end until the bidding wars stop. And I wonder if like Greg just keeps adding tens of millions of dollars to some of these contracts because the PGA tour for, for lack of a better way to say it has, has put out their best and final offer, at least for now. Right. Like, I don't know that they have any more millions to try to eke out of sponsors. And in fact, some of these sponsor deals like are TBD, like they've got to go now pitch some of these, some of these sponsors and maybe do some, you know, horse trading here and there on these elevated events. They may shift around from year to year. So you might say to a sponsor, like a heritage, Hey, it's not going to be an elevated event every year. It's going to be every four years or something like that. But like, I don't know that they could, they could work in this escalated bidding war for a guy like uh, uh, Hideki, you mentioned like Sanjay and some of these other international stars, but where my, like my head goes to is, is a place of like, has, has the PGA tour with some of these moves that they've announced made themselves like the U S tour and lives real opportunities to be like the, the international tour, the rest of world tour. Yeah. I mean, the short answer is yes. Like live, could do that and, and of course like everything they're doing is still these contracts and else. Like, no one really knows mm-hmm. what's going on and, and i say that in a meaningful way of like and i, I kind of got into it on twitter with some folks today because they're like oh you know these european tours like they the european players came to the u.s freely and like if you look at the history of it no they didn't come I, they didn't come air quotes freely. Um, yes. Did anyone like force them over? No, no one forced them over. But up until about the mid nineties, late nineties, the European tour and the U S tour were, I won't necessarily say shoulder to shoulder, but it wasn't a super wide gulf. And what happened is Tiger Woods happened. Yeah. And once Tiger Woods happened, the U S tour could go out and demand amazing money from sponsors and purses exploded and the dp tour did not have tiger colin montgomery a very fine player in his own right a young lee westwood you know darren clark all very very talented golfers none of them the million megawatt player that tiger woods was and so the money just flew into the pga tour and like, and this is sort of like all the, the hoopla about, oh, it lives money, money, money. I'm like, can we just stop, please? Like, golfers are moths to a flame when it comes to money. They will go wherever the money is. End sentence. Stop. So, like, all these European dudes, they made the rational choice of, like, hey, the the there are now almost 2x. And they just moved over. And, like, the DP tour sort of – it withered away. It did a nice job. Kept a lot of world ranking points despite depleted fields. Hence, you know, much ballyhooed manipulation by staying over there to get into, like, WGCs and majors and whatnot. And, and basically, like, this, this is where, in my opinion, like, one of, like, the people who are getting hailed as a, like, a cape-wearing hero is, is actually kind of like a craven villain is, like, Roy McElroy. 
because Rory could have actually been the balancing on back on the DP tour. As he's ascending, Tiger is in turmoil. Tiger is whatever. And he was getting all the world points. He would have qualified for all the majors. And, like, he could have been the counterbalance to bring the European tour closer to, you know, balance with the PGA tour. Could he have brought yeah, there was that there I was that like year that, so. he, that he played the Irish Open and some others, but he's never he's never invested any significant time on the other side of the pond. Right, like he definitely well he did. I mean, as a young, really young guy, he was playing those events, and it, I mean, it wasn't until like he was clear, like, oh hey, this dude is a super duper star, and then he just came right on over. But like he could have done it, and he didn't, um, and. And then, you know, fast forward, he's – all the PGL guys are reaching out to him like, hey, man, share the plan with the player. Nope, 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 not doing it. We won't do it. We're not sharing it. Nope, nope. And, like, he could have headed all of this off. It, yeah, back in, back in November of last year. Yeah, because they were like, share our numbers. Like, they were – they went public. Rory, you're on the committee. We've given you the packet. Share it with the players. And he's like, nope. Like, he could have headed this off. Because all, everything that's happened here is clearly in response to Liv. Every single thing is, like, in clearly in response to this financial thing that has actually happened. And they just were like, no, we're going to bury our heads in the sand. And now he's lauded as, like, St. Rory who's carrying the flame. Like this motherfucker sat down when he could have stood up back in November. And now when it's totally safe, because everyone else is the villain. Now he's like, like, Oh, I'm going to stand up now and do this. It's like, like there's a problem. It's like, go fuck yourself. You had a chance to actually prevent the schism. And you didn't do it because you didn't go to Jay and be like, this is going to happen. Right. There was no player, all player meeting back in December or November that was like, dude, these are the numbers on the table. Like we can't say no to this for very long. At least some of them can't. I mean, obviously Tiger can look at $700 million and be like, not for me. And I I am truly envious of like I would love to get to the point where someone can come to me with seven hundred million dollars when I am dilapidated and busted up and can't hardly play, being like, no no, I just need you in a ceremonial role for seven hundred million dollars and be like, eh, I'm good. Yeah. That is a how much of how much of that like if and maybe I'm reading too much into the uh, the tomorrow golf league and tomorrow enterprises whatever it's called and this TGL how much of it is like there was so much going on behind the scenes for folks like and I'll, I'll use Rory and Tiger as the example but there could be others that are doing this behind the scenes that are going to do their own you know sort of slime cup style events or simulator events or other other events outside this PGA tour schedule how much of it is like guys trying to privatize certain parts of professional golf 
and make sure they get the most equity they can. Like, like I wonder going back to your PGL comment, like when he's shown that it was almost like a peanut butter spread. Like we're giving all exempt members of the PGA tour equity in this. And, and it almost wasn't top heavy. I wonder if these guys were like, no, 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 we need this to be very top heavy. And so we got to work with the PGA tour to make these elevated events and this like top heavy pip and also carve out these like private, uh, but PGA tour sanctioned offshoots for more private, like sponsorship fee or, uh, you know, appearance fee type, type things. Cause you could argue like these things are all like appearance fees. Yes. You're going to do some hit and giggling, but like, because it's like just top players and it's sanctioned by the PGA tour and it's only going to go to the top guys. It's just another way to funnel a lot of money for, for showing up to something. So my initial takeaway on what I've seen on this tomorrow golf thing in this Monday night golf league or whatever it's going to be like, this is, this is holy with purpose. Like this is, this is, this is not going to work. I'm willing to give it, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. I I want to see it. We're all uh, decided totally. We're all golf dorks. We're all, we're all going to give it four episodes, four tries, but like, if we're hitting in the simulators or we're hitting like, I mean, look, we all watched the match and about the eighth hole of the match, like, Oh yeah, this is, this isn't great. And, you know, then we watched match two and we were all kind of like, Oh yeah. But like the fourth hole, like, Oh, this is actually not any better. And then, I mean, now they've just totally gotten rid of tiger and Phil for, I guess, obvious reason. Um, and no one's watching, right? Like it's this is this isn't great. Uh, so like I I think this is ultimately I don't want to say it's a red herring, but the fact like here here's the thing, and this is a little like I I think we're we have not seen the full reveal yet. When you look at the all twenty two meeting. It was the players and like a private equity guy or a consultant or somebody. Clearly, Tiger and Rory have been talking to this other like kind of quiet billionaire over in Ireland. JP McManus clearly has been counseling and talking to these guys. There is a much bigger play happening here than just Monday night stadium golf. Like, because again, bear in mind, Monday Night Golf. When's this going to happen? Um, it's not going to happen in the fall. When it's not going to compete against Monday Night Football. Yeah, You're correct. So this is going to happen somewhere in the spring or summer. Yeah, they're saying fifteen event Monday Night Golf, three on three teams, six teams total. I think like, it's going to happen during the year, but in like the off weeks around these elevated events. I don't know. And who knows if it's taped, taped, you know, and then just aired on Monday. I think I did, I did read somewhere it's live. So, so maybe it is. And so here's the thing. Monday okay. Night live. So you bring another point. Why the, why this is not, this is not going to work. If it's in the off weeks after the elevated events. So it's either going to be in the place where the elevated event was, or they're, they're traveling. So like, it's not just 20 weeks of golf. It's got to be close to 28 weeks, 29 weeks 
because there's going to be weird overlays where they, well, we couldn't get that venue. We got to do this. We got to do that. Well, I, and, I get it as like, let's, let's say it is three on three. You're talking about six guys. And let's say they just finished up the Genesis. They're going to hop over to a studio. It looks like a studio. You'd have to imagine it's in like a big city like LA or New York or, or something like that. They're going to hop into a studio and it's only six guys and they'll rotate that commitment around between, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe Tiger does most of them or he's on site for most of them. Maybe, maybe Rory is too, but I don't think it's a huge ask for them to, to hit a few simulator shots and yuck it up for a little bit. And, and again, who knows? It could, it could flop. It could be actually entertaining. Who knows? Listen, if this is pure simulators, like I thought we were talking about stadium things. If this is pure simulators, 100% flop. Like, so the, 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 rent, the rendering which has gone around looks like a crowd of people in the thousands around an arena that has a big putting green in the middle and some big, like, big simulators. Like, you're hitting into a sim and there's a bunch of other, like, data being shown, you know, that might be, like, the score of this little three-hole match you're going to play. And, and, and uh, one thing I was chatting with some buddies around is, like, everyone knows that simulators suck for, like, short game and putting. And so maybe they try to like use this putting green to like, oh, you've you've chipped it green side. Now your ball goes over here. Let's see how close you can get it to the hole. So so who knows how it's actually going to be done? Uh, again, I'm willing to withhold uh, withhold judgment for for at least an episode or two. Uh, I, I will go in wildly skeptical because <laughs> again, simulators they are fun when it's cold and you got nothing else to do. Let's go bang on the simulator, grab grab a pitcher. Let's go play the old course. It's great because what else are you going to do? As like, I'm going to sit down and give away my time with like my family or anything else to watch other people play a simulator. <laughs> Fuck off. Like this is, this is now, and I'm now hundred percent like this is a billion times fucking dumber than 54 holes with a shotgun. <laughs> no, this is and, real and this golf, is where, George. Those are exhibitions. And this is, and this is where, like, I feel like this is the red herring, where there's more at play here. And, you know, here, here's what I think we're going to see is, and again, like, these private equity, you know, people joke, like, oh, you don't want to deal with MBS. I represent a ton of clients. We do a ton of deals with the private equity guys. You don't want to deal with private equity guys. Because when they start sharpening their pencil, these are the worst fuckers on the And when they start sitting there and they're going to back something, they don't just say, oh, we want to make 20%. Right? Like, you went to, you went to a very good MBA program. Like, they, they look at what's our IRR. What's our, like, they have models. They start getting into all these other things like, well, what? What's your IRR? Well, this is a rate of return. And you're like, okay, go on. And they're like, well, we have this and this and this. We put these costs in. And you're like, I don't think we can do that. And like, well, we can. We just got to get rid of you to get there. And like, they just start chiseling. And I think are going to find out a very hard reality if they want to dive into this pool. Because what I think is going to ultimately happen is this. They're going to use the players as the faces of a play to start acquiring tournaments. Mm. 
And they will still use the tournaments as vehicles to donate to local charities. But the tournaments pay a lot of money to a lot of people. These tournaments generate a ton of cash. And the tournament chairman, and you can pull them up. They're all on GuideStar. They file their 990s because they're 501c3s. You can see who gets paid what. And you will see that these tournament chairmen typically get paid, I would say, on the low end, 300 grand. On the high end, you could be at a million bucks. And these private equity guys are like, well, we can fucking run this. We can install somebody to run it, and we're going to pay 300 grand. We all the vendors are already existing. Yeah, I was going to say, and all their start, vendors will be their friendlies or their own subsidiaries. Correct. And by the way, we're going to start to really chop up the real estate of hospitality tents and everything else. We're going to sell that to vendors, so we're not going to actually spend a dime on food or anything else because we're going to sell it to food trucks or local company, lo- local restaurants that want to come in and start well, selling I, well, the goods. I, I, I was going to go another way. They might start to look more like concerts too. You might, you might see people doing a uh, waste management tactics at other events because they know that's going to generate the fans, the youth, you know, you might, you might see the chain smokers at, at more than one event here on the PJ tour before too long. I mean, more pandemics because I'm pretty <laughs> sure the chain smokers were, patient zero of the pandemic um so the fact that like phoenix is going to have them next year i can tell you where i won't be and just i i just can't yeah the, the zombie apocalypse starts when the chain smokers play the pg i can't risk hey, it. you can't risk it so I, I think we could wrap on this there's a lot that's unknown i think like if we look at what's coming down the pike and where we're going to have opportunities to dive deeper there's obviously in the next few days, once the tour championship, the, the net tour championship, uh, not the gross event, the net event uh, is, is figured out that that Monday, there's going to be an announcement. Who knows if it's going to be Cam plus Leash plus Adam Scott plus Cam Tringali and, and others that, as have been rumored. Sounds like perhaps not Hideki, but, but we're going to have something to digest there the day after the tour championship. I, I still have on my radar, like, no one's talking about the OWGR application that Liv submitted. I want to I want to touch on that before we yeah, yeah. before we go like, before we go but, away. But no one's talked about like the timing of that. There's there's this one year tech review cycle. Of course, they're going to be told to remedy stuff. Of course, they're going to say that's anathema to our business model. But like, there's a ton of long term ramifications. We've talked about how this is like the linchpin and all this stuff. So here's I think this is the tour's best play here is they have to give, they basically just go to the OWGR committee and say, give them points, boys. Let them go. Yeah. Massively reduced because, points. And, and, yeah. Uh, not massively reduced. I, I, if you give massively reduced, you have a lawsuit. The well, give them is 75%. I would say give them 100%. Because look under the new rules. It looks at all the rankings that are there to divvy up the points. You've got the PGA but it also, guys but it also, now. Yeah, but it also matters on the depth of the field too. So like a 48-man event with the you know, ever-dwindling rankings of these people, it, it becomes like a self-perpetuating toilet bowl of, of rate. A hundred percent. So this is yeah, the point. This is, the tour should, this is why the tour should go to the committee and be like, hey, boys, full points. Because if they've got the all 22 showing up to all these other events – they're going to be making so many points playing each other 
that live, even if they get Cam Smith, even if they get, like, let's say they get Cam and Hideki and everything else, they're not, because of what's going to make up the bottom of that field, they are not going to be able to even compete with the points that are being generated on the tour. So the, the dudes who don't have exemptions, the guys who are thinking like, hey, I think I want to make the jump. I think it's going to work for me. Like, they're going to realize, like, shit, like, other than, like, the U.S. Open where you have to, like, play, play your way in through sectionals and so on, and the, the British Open, or I'm sorry, the Open, how you have to play your way in. And, and bear in mind, PGA Tour guys don't play, like, they just show up at sectionals or regionals or whatever it is. Like, they show up at the Calaveras section. The USGA could say, like, PGA Tour players show up to this. If you're a live guy, welcome to regionals or whatever. I, I don't mm-hmm. know what the tiers are. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. Like, it, it, it awarding, awarding points is like the 3D chess move to, to make, and it, and it gets you out of the antitrust to a degree. <laughs> or like removes one of the big sticking points in that, uh, you know, that, it, that Liv had in the antitrust case. And it becomes self-perpetuating in the upward direction with the 22 and all these elevated events it becomes self-perpetuating in the toilet bowl direction with, with Liv events. So barring a sort of fundamental reshaping of a new point system that looks at it more mathematically, we've had lots of discussions on Twitter about, about this and that, you know, it's actually not hard math to just rank play and relative scores amongst players um barring that happening like the owgr just becomes massively important and the timing of it becomes super interesting yeah and i I think that is in a way that is like the most diabolical move the tour can make because it it literally just takes all the wind out of live sales because like we gave you full points we're not don't even die we're gonna give you full points under the new system players you don't have the players to compete with what we're going to show up. So you're, you can go win and you're still going to lose ground to the guy who finished 33rd in our event. We can, we could keep going on this. I think we'll have to revisit this as soon as it happens. I'll, I'll leave you with one uh, thing. And then I want your prediction uh, round one of the tour championship just wrapped up today. Rory starts with a triple makes four bogeys eight birdies and an eagle to shoot 367. That looks like one of my scorecards, except for as many birdies. I mean, that is just psycho. And, and now I want your prediction, George, who will win the net tour championship? What did Cam Smith shoot? I haven't looked at any scores. So I'm, I'm Cam Smith blind. shot three under today. He's seven under overall. Eight shots back of your leader, Scotty Scheffler. He fired a five under 65. He's got a five-shot lead over Xander Shoffley. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Like, I, I got burned a few times. Like, I'm not betting against Scheffler right now. If he's got a five-shot lead out of round one and he shot five under, like – the, the dude is – he's shown us this year he does have that gear. He may look like yeah. Jim Neighbors, like, from pure Gomer Pyle moments. But, like, the dude can play. He can go deep. And if it's a lift cleaning place tomorrow or I, I'm not sure what the weather is going to be. So, if, if they get to keep ball in hand and the way the season he's had and everything else, 
I, you would, I mean, I might just go put a tremendous amount of money on him, regardless of the odds, to just take it away. Yeah, I'm with you. Xander Shally sitting sitting five shots back after round one. Still, you know, 54 holes of golf remaining, so a lot can happen. But, yeah, Scotty looks like he's got a uh, a commanding early lead. It'll be uh, interesting to watch. Uh, George, I bid you adieu. This has been a good discussion, and we've got a lot to chat about this coming Monday as soon as the uh, the shoe drops on some of these announcements. It's, gonna, it's going to be a very – interesting day for sure all right brother talk to you then take care thanks for listening to the living it up podcast follow us on the twitters at living it up pod see you there